Let's pray. Jesus, light of the world, as we follow you today, we ask you, illuminate the darkness within us and around us. Show us your presence and your path as we welcome your light in our lives. Amen. When I was young, early elementary, maybe first or second grade, I had a brush with blindness. I don't remember if I'd had a conflict with my brother or if he just thought he was being funny, but he came to me bearing a gift folded multiple times inside a piece of Kleenex. When I got it all unwrapped, holding it in the palm of my hand, he slapped my hand from the underside and the white powder, Ajax, on the Kleenex flew up into my eyes. I was immediately blind. I could not see. Of course, I screamed and cried. It was horrifying. My parents came running, and while there was some comfort in their presence, I could not see. In panicked alarm, they called the doctor who called in a prescription to the pharmacy. Who knows what it was, but after my dad got it, he smeared it into my open eyes. I went to bed that night very frightened. In the morning, my eyes were crusty, but I could see. I was blind for a day, not even a day, really. Nonetheless, I felt terror and fear. Even as a small child, I wondered about the meaning of my life moving forward. Suppose I had been blinded that day. Certainly my life would have been very different, but let's wonder for a minute about my flourishing. First of all, I was still alive. I still had life. Initially, I would have been very vulnerable. I would have had to relearn a lot of things. I was just learning to read, so I would have had to learn to read with my fingers using the Braille alphabet. My sense of touch would have developed as a way of seeing, I suppose. I would have had to learn to trust my other senses more, right? To listen more acutely, perhaps smell with more keenness. We would all agree that I could have had a wonderful, good, and fulfilling life. But for those of us who've had the privilege of physical sight all our lives, we would also agree I would have missed out on some things. I would have missed color completely. My world would have been dark, yet I still would have been living in a world of light. Our observance of a holy Lent, our submission to Lenten practices, whatever they are, whatever they may be, is intended to assist us in washing away, cleaning up, addressing the areas of spiritual blindness in each of our hearts with the goal of revealing the beauty of the light in which we live, enabling us to see color, abundance of life in Christ. The healing needed in areas of spiritual blindness is different for each one of us, but for all of us, the Lord seeks to release his life, his love, his joy, his penetrating light into our darkened hearts. Today's scripture passages shed light on the ways that self-deception or spiritual blindness limit us 
or when opened up in the presence of the Lord, free us to live in the light and to walk joyfully in it. From John chapter 9, we see how long-held or cherished beliefs can keep us from seeing reality, from seeing Jesus, the light of the world, the light of our worlds. From 1 Samuel 16, we can see how the distortions of our hearts mislead us. And from Ephesians 5, we can see how the darkness of the world around us presses in such that we can literally be deceived about what sin is. Each scripture sheds light on the dimensions of spiritual blindness to which we are all prone. In John chapter 9, Jesus heals a real blind man from real physical blindness. But the main thrust of the passage is as a parable of spiritual illumination. As Jesus and his disciples encounter the blind man, the disciples question Jesus about the connection between the man's blindness and sin. Jesus corrects their erroneous cause and effect thinking, redirecting the attention to himself and to his greater purposes in the world shifting the conversation to God's glory, declaring for the second time in John's Gospel, I am the light of the world. A wonderful thing happens for the blind man. Jesus takes the dust of the earth and uses it to create sight, light, where none existed for him before. In his story, it became, becomes obvious that he's healed not only physically, but spiritually. He sees Jesus more clearly than anyone else in the story. But Jesus is concerned with the more serious blindness of the religious authorities, who once again move themselves into the spotlight. Jesus is really hard on religious authorities, isn't he? Elsewhere, he calls them blind guides, hypocrites. Here, they challenge Jesus, are we blind, we who have the law of Moses? Jesus takes them back to the issue of sin, the question raised by his disciples at the beginning. Somehow, the religious leaders have concluded that if they follow the letter of the law, they are without sin. In fact, that's how they know that Jesus is a sinner because he healed on the Sabbath, which they are certain is work on the Sabbath, thus violating Mosaic law. The word know, K-N-O-W, is repeated throughout the passage, including four times in the verses uh, 14 to 27 that aren't printed in the bulletin. But you see, we have the same problem the Jewish religious leaders had. We know so many things. But much of what we know, we learned from the culture around us. How many times do we hear my truth or things along the line of, we just need to protect our truth? We live in a culture and times when personal stories, the narratives of my people, are what we align ourselves with over and against seeking capital T truth even over and against seeking to receive the goodness and benevolence of the creator of the world. The Lord who, as our shepherd, seeks to grant us grace, goodness, and mercy, 
who invites us to dwell in his glorious presence. As the light of the world, Jesus is the revelation of God's love. The religious authorities attempt to trump Jesus' authority by aligning themselves with their ultimate authority, Moses. The problem is they completely ignore God's revelation of his heart to Moses and to the people of Israel. When the law, the Ten Commandments, were given for the first and second times on Mount Sinai, Exodus 34 says, The Lord passed before Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. There on Mount Sinai, as Moses received this revelation, he bowed his head and worshipped. In John 9, Jesus, God incarnate, is right in front of Moses' disciples, and they cannot see the reality of covenant love in the flesh. The man born blind is healed, sees physically and spiritually that Jesus is God and worships him. But they, the ones who profess to know God inside and out, refuse to even see that a man blind from birth has been miraculously healed. It's a miracle never known in their own law, history, or prophets, a truth named in the Psalms. The Lord executes justice for the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. It's the truth that Isaiah prophesied regarding the coming Messiah. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. The religious leaders are so concerned with their tradition and status. They are so focused on the rules of the law, they cannot allow the heart of the law, the steadfast love of God who opens the eyes of the blind to penetrate their blindness. Personally, I find the light of Christ shining into my darkness to be very challenging at times. I can be as blind as those religious leaders. I don't always want to see and then act on what God exposes. For a number of months, I've been returning to the Lord in prayer over an issue in my life. I've prayed and struggled and explored various options as I see them repeatedly. Just about two weeks ago, as I wearied the Lord again, actually I wearied myself because the Lord is infinitely patient, I considered an option that I had repeatedly told myself I was open to. As I sat in the Lord's presence over that option, it seemed to me that it was what the Lord was opening to me. I admit it was not my first choice, hence my reluctance. And it took me quite a while to open myself up to that option, that that's what the Lord was inviting me to. And even now, as I'm walking in the light of the path that God is opening ahead of me, I don't see very far ahead. But I am learning obedience. And as always, I see God's desire for my life and flourishing. Our liturgy of repentance includes, we have followed too much 
the devices and desires of our own hearts. Simply said, when we do so, we are often misled. In 1 Samuel 16, the faithful prophet of God shines the love and light of God's presence amongst those gathered for a special sacrifice in Jesse's home. We've just heard the details of that story, how David is not present, marginalized in his own family, and how Samuel must ask and wait for him to come so that Samuel can obey God's directive. And what does the light of God reveal to all those who are gathered there? That God looks on the heart. God sees the heart. God isn't concerned about the outside, but he is concerned about what's going on the inside of all of us. And God sees that David's heart is attuned to him. God's choice to have David anointed for a spiritual consecration and blessing in that moment makes no apparent difference to his father or his brothers. David returns to shepherding sheep. Maybe he writes Psalm 23 right then. And three of his older brothers join King Saul's army. The light of God has shone into their lives through God's servant Samuel, whose presence, words, and actions were all known to be directed by God. But just like the blind religious leaders, that Jesus confronted, they see, but they don't see. The prophet Samuel thought it was likely, based on appearances, that the Lord would choose Eliab, the oldest brother, but God sees all hearts. A very short time later, Eliab's heart is revealed when their father, Jesse, sends David to bring fresh supplies to his brothers on the battlefield in the presence of the enemy, Goliath. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 28. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard David speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Eliab has convinced himself that he knows his youngest brother's motives and heart. Yet God chose to found his kingdom on the kind of love he saw in King David. Heaven knows David was as sinful and imperfect as we all are. But God saw in David a reciprocity of love. God was looking for a king who could show others something of what it looks like to love and be loved by God. While David's way was the way of imperfection, as Eugene Peterson says, the story of David is not a story of what God wants us to be, but a story of God working with the raw material of our lives as he finds us. Have you ever wondered what Eliab or any of David's older brothers would have been like if they had allowed the light of God to shine in their hearts? Eliab's calling, among other things, was in fact to be the oldest brother of King David. What if Eliab had said, hey, look, it's my younger brother David. What have you brought for us? Whoo, looks good, thank you. 
Do you really think that you could stand up to Goliath in the ways that you stood up against the lion and the bears who attacked our father's sheep? <laughs> well, it's worth a try. After all, you are pretty amazing with a slingshot. Gratitude moves us to connect with God. David was not blind to the goodness of God in his life. David knew how to say, I'm sorry. He knew how to ask for and receive forgiveness and how to say thank you. Can we do any less? I wonder if Eliab thanked God, or David for that matter, for the victory over Goliath and the Philistines that day. When we allow the light of Christ to shine into our distorted hearts, our hearts rise up in thanksgiving. Eucharist. We are forgiven and freed of our envy, our jealousy, our anger, our misunderstanding, and a whole host of other sins. The light of Christ shows us how we are blind to sin, blind to the influence of those with whom we associate, blind to our calling to be the light. Those who live in the dark, pursuing their own desires as described in our Ephesians passage, deceive themselves regarding God's wrath towards the sin and disobedience. But Ephesians 5 encourages us to walk in the light. In fact, it says, believers have become light, having formerly been darkness. As N.T. Wright says, we must now behave as light bearers in God's world. About a month ago, John and I watched the movie A Hidden Life. The main character, an Austrian farmer, initially cooperates with the early programs of the German army on the eve of World War II. But when the moment comes to sign the oath of loyalty to Hitler, he refuses to do so, ultimately being abused, tortured, and killed for his refusal. The film illustrates the struggle of our lives. We are walking along, members of our culture and times, and slowly, or maybe there's an epiphany of sorts, but in any event, we come to realize that we are at a crossroads. With no evil intent on our own parts, we see that somehow we have become partners with someone or something that is wrong. It is this, 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 whoa, not this. We have gone along, we have even participated, and now we see that the path is leading away from life and flourishing, away from the light, and we say, no, no more. Jesus wants to open our eyes to see, enabling us to repent so he can forgive us, cleanse us from our guilt, our complicity, our hatred, our comparisons, our lust, our gluttony, our worry, our hopelessness, a whole litany of our sins. The world around us is dark. When the light of the world comes with revelation, we see who we are in all our sin. And, praise God, we see who we are by grace and mercy. The light of Christ in my heart, your heart, washes away our blindness to the waywardness and willfulness of our hearts, allowing us to be filled with the fullness of the Spirit of God. 
Our Ephesians passage ends with a call to those who are spiritually asleep. Wake up, rise from the dead, then Christ will shine in you. The full spectrum of all the colors of God's goodness are ours to enjoy. As the light, he now challenges his followers, saying, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. We are to be the light that shines in the dark, providing brilliance to people in need. If I had been blinded as a child, this word would still be true for me. If our paths take us through very painful stories, include people we dearly love who are walking in darkness, we are still called to walk in the light ourselves. This is a beautiful and true word, and it comes to each of us where we are. Notice these lovely rose-pink flowers up front today. A few weeks ago, I learned that we have a rose-colored candle on what's called Gaudate Sunday during Advent that calls us to joy in the midst of Advent, and we have Laudate Sunday on the fourth Sunday of Lent, calling us to rejoice in the hope of the resurrection. The crucified Lamb is the light of the world. Let us follow him. In him is life, and his life is the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. God is seeking hearts wide open, tuned to his heart. He was in the beginning with God. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him is life, and that life is the light for the life of the world. Love is offered us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. In this is love, not that we loved him, but that he loves us and sent his Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. In the new heaven and the new earth is the city of God, and in that city, the home of God among mortals. And God will dwell with them, and they will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. And the glory of God is the light of the city of God, and its lamp is the crucified, risen Lamb. Our Lamb is the light. Let us follow him. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.